This will be a sign to you that you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men whom his favour rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem, see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning that what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, where they just as they had been told. And we'll hear and think a little bit more about that in just a minute. From the shepherds. Because they were there and they saw. You see, at Christmas time, the living God was like an excited new dad who's just had a new baby. Who to tell? I want to tell the world. Who should I tell? I know. I've already sent an angel to Mary. Uh, I've sent a star in the sky. What to do next? I know I'll send a choir. But who should I send the choir to? I could send the choir to a concert hall because that's usually where they go. I could send the choir to a palace because everybody will appreciate it. I know I'll really put a spanner in the works. I will send a choir. The greatest choir the world has ever seen. I will send it to a bunch of grubby shepherds sitting on a grassy hill outside the rubbishy town called Bethlehem. And I told you a second ago that we've got this story in the Bible because the shepherds were investigated by a journalist called Luke who wrote it down. And when they spoke to him, they highlighted what he had to point out to the rest of the world. And I've got those three things here. There are three things that the shepherds really, really want us to get. And the first thing is this. They were utterly amazed that the news came to them. Now, I don't know whether you know this, but, but back in the first century, shepherds were like the scallies, kicking around on the street corner. They were looked down upon and not viewed as particularly important. If they couldn't get a proper job, they ended up with a shepherding job. And when they would come back down into town having done it, people would like turn the corner of their lip up at them. They were never very impressed with shepherds. It's, we're told, in fact, that shepherds had less legal access. They didn't even have normal rights and privileges because of being shepherds. And here were these shepherds sitting out on the hill and they felt in that moment exposed in a way that they'd never felt before. Isn't that funny how sometimes coming near to Christmas can leave us with a sense of how disappointing our lives are? Had you thought about that? I know we all watch the Christmas adverts by Marks and Spencers and John Lewis and we get a little buzzy feeling inside of ourselves. That's wonderful. But so often, uniquely at Christmas, people can feel terribly alone. 
It's a time when so often we remember how broken, difficult and dysfunctional our families are. How empty and short-lived are the buzzes we get off the stuff that we buy, the places we go, the stuff we eat. It was C.S. Lewis who wrote The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe who said, Why is it that I can find nothing in this world that truly satisfies? I must therefore conclude that I'm made for something outside of this world. And there's nothing like Christmas to show us how disappointing and short-lived are most of the things within this world. So I don't know exactly what you're facing, but I know this. There's stuff in your life that is so disappointing and Christmas seems to highlight it. Maybe this Christmas finds you without a job or you're worried about the future or you've got terrible concerns for your kids or your parents. Maybe you're in some kind of trouble or you're ill. These shepherds are utterly amazed because to them, in their disappointment, came the greatest news. The shepherds want you to know that this news is for you as well. At Christmas time, they weren't feeling particularly awesome. Perhaps you're not feeling particularly awesome. You're in the same place. The angel says, listen up. In a minute, we're going to sing my favorite Christmas carol. Hark the herald angels sing. Who knows what the word hark means? What does hark mean? Listen. Oi, listen. That's why we sing. Because there's a message for us whose lives aren't awesome and we're a bit disappointed. Wow. That's the first thing the shepherds want us to notice. The second thing the shepherds want us to notice was just the degree of glory and amazement. Now listen, I know what you lot are like. You're the same as me. We can get excited about almost anything. But did you notice what the angel said? Glory to God in the highest. As in, this is maximum awesomeness. Now, I I don't know whether any of you are angels here. George is. George, is it good being an angel? He's not completely convinced, which tells me he doesn't know what it really means to be an angel. Shall I tell you what it means to be an angel? In the Bible, to be an angel means that you were there when the physical cosmos was spoken into being by the living God. Do you know scientists tell us that there are three million trillion stars? That's three with 24 noughts after it. Have you got any idea how how big that is? Okay, let me help you. So, do you know um, uh, a million seconds? Okay, a million seconds. Do you know when, when that was? A million seconds was 10 days ago. Okay, do you know when a billion seconds was? April 1987. Did you know that? What was noticeable about a billion seconds ago? Well, Arsenal, I looked it up, Arsenal won the League Cup for the first time beating Liverpool 2-0. Sorry, 2-1. 2-1. Do you know when a trillion seconds ago was? Nobody does. It was 32,000 years ago. Before history even properly began. That's just one trillion seconds ago. But there are three million trillion stars. And the angels saw each one of those formed. Our star, the sun, has got enough power to power the whole of civilization 
for 500,000 years every second. Now, you'd have thought they'd have come going, glory to God in the highest for the awesomeness of the stars. But they don't. They come saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favour rests. They're celebrating the birth of this child because it's more of a powerhouse than even the creation of the world. They praise him for the highest for this baby. Have you got that? Do you understand and see what they see? Because they see something that needs even more power than the creation of the universe, the creation of the cosmos. Any ideas? Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild. What's the next bit? God and what? Have you any idea how difficult it is to do that? Have you got any idea how difficult it is to reconcile, bring together God and sinners? The reality is, is that you probably don't because you don't realize that we are at war. The Bible constantly tells us that our main problem in the world is not that we haven't quite got enough stuff, or we're not quite brainy enough, or we're, we, we just don't know quite how to get along enough. The Bible repeatedly tells us that our problem is that heaven and earth are at war. Who's in charge? And how will it go? And this insanity shows itself all over the place in the hardships that we face, the way that we, why is it we always hurt the ones we love the most? Why is it that we're so wise in our own eyes? Why why is it that no matter how much stuff we get, it's never quite enough? Answer? We've broken loose from the God who made us. Now, I, don't mind, I know most of you there, you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, okay, I know there's something wrong, but is it war? Is it really? The thing is, is that we really think that all we need is a little bit of help from God, not peace and reconciliation. We don't. The problem's worse than that. And the angels knew it. Sometimes we just think that all we need is a bit of guidance from God or a leg up, not reconciliation. No, God looks down on this earth and he says that there is a cancer that is killing and it's in the heart of humankind and it is going to end in death because if that cancer is a rebellion against the true and living God, against treason, cosmic treason, it's not going to end well. And the angels saw it and they say, glory to God in the highest because the one who has been wronged, God, is coming To rescue a lost humanity. My problem is that so often I really do believe that lie that says I can push God to the fringe of my life and make him a mere footnote and I can live well and enjoy all the good things he gives me like family and friends and health and fun and pay no attention to him and he won't care. The Bible tells us that that is moral insanity and cosmic treason and that the penalty is cosmic death but that God is going to do something you see if you offend the dude who can chuck three million trillion stars into space it's not going to end well for you unless 
He has a heart of mercy and patience and love and doesn't want to give you over to that. And that's why the angels are going nuts because God has provided a way to make peace and, he's, and the angels come and say, Oi, shepherds, get on it quick. Don't miss this one. And which way do they point? Do they point to the retail park? No. Do they even point to religion? Go to church and try harder. No. They point to a baby in a manger, in a stable, whose name is Jesus. That's what the angel would point to. They don't yell, Oi, you grubby little mangy wasters! You've wasted all the opportunity that's come in your life. Pull your socks up and maybe, maybe there'll be something good around the corner. No. They say, go to Jesus. You see, he is the only one who lived an absolutely perfect life. So only he could grow up to pay the penalty for our sin and rebellion. You see, that baby of the Christmas crib grew to be the man who would be king and go to an Easter cross. And in that moment when Jesus, the one who was born king but was born to die, went to that cross, he carried all the treasonous charges that stand against you and me, all of our moral impurity, all of our self-seeking, all of our shaking of the fist at that holy God. He carried it on himself. He paid the price so that when we receive him, we receive his perfect record. We receive peace with God. That's why they sang about this baby. They say, don't miss it. You need this. And so what did they think about? Number one, that it would come to somebody like them. Number two, how glorious it was, peace with God. But the third thing that they wanted us to see, and just as we finish, we must see this, is what we're supposed to do about it. Let me read from verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Oh, that's awesome. Let's change the channel and watch what's next on telly. Is that what it said? Let's go to Bethlehem. Go is a verb. For those of you who are little and in primary school and don't get taught English properly, a verb is a doing word, which means you have to do something. They went to Bethlehem. Now, physically, that was a little bit easier for them than for us because it was just down the grassy hill over a few rocks in the path. But we go there by faith to see. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So the shepherds want you to know that you've got to do something about this. You've got to decide, will you go to this Jesus and put your trust in him? Matty and I last night were lamenting about how age has a terrible impact. It makes you lazy and when you get in a swimming pool, you have a tendency to sink to the bottom. Am I right? We bo- Thank you. We both loathe swimming, but we know that we're supposed to keep swimming, not least of all because it keeps us fit, but also if you're on a boat and it starts to go down, uh, swimming is, is pretty good really, isn't it? But I want you to imagine that you are on a boat and it looks like it's going down. And in the boat there are two things. There is a life jacket or an anvil. You know what an anvil is? A big massive chunk of metal for doing uh, moving metal and for making horseshoes. Okay, so the boat is going down and there's these two things that are standing there and somebody goes to you and they say, 
We're going down. Which one do you want? And you look at them and go, well, it doesn't. Just throw me whichever you want. It doesn't really matter. How's that going to work for you? You see, religion says, try harder. Work harder. Try and make something of your life and perhaps it will all work out in the end. It's like an anvil that will just carry you to the bottom faster. But Jesus, he's our life preserver who we have to grab on, put on, wrap ourselves up in, trust in, because he's the one who says, I've done it all for you. I did what you could never do. Simply receive as a gift. Go to Bethlehem. Jesus is your glory and peace. And for some of you, you've never done that. And today would be a great day to do that. To say, if Jesus really is this king, he really is this saviour, then I need to know him and I need to have received his, his saving life jacket. I need to wrap myself up in him. I need to go to Bethlehem. But there's more than that, you see, because, well, you read at the bottom, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. Do you notice they didn't just go to Bethlehem, they went away praising and living their life in the light of Bethlehem. Do you get that? So Christmas, just like a dog, isn't just for one day, it's for life. Do we get that? And that's really important to you, isn't it? Because in every moment, you are surrounded by doubts, you're surrounded by fears. And to somebody who is surrounded by doubts and fears and insecurities, Jesus Christ can every day be your glory and your peace. You take him into every moment, just as the shepherds wandered away, letting the greatness of all that he had done just reflect and shine on them. How am I ever supposed to know which way to go? Jesus Christ is your life and peace. I'm not sure who is really on my side. Jesus Christ is your glory and your peace. Who would be smart enough to figure this whole thing out? Certainly not me. Jesus Christ is your glory and peace. Everybody says, I can't do it. Jesus Christ is your glory and peace. I failed again. Jesus Christ is your glory and peace. I tried. Jesus Christ is your glory and peace. I don't know what to live for. There's so many things and nothing seems to satisfy Jesus Christ is your glory and your peace. I don't, know, I don't know how to turn this mess around. Jesus Christ is your glory and peace. I just need someone to hold me tight. Jesus Christ is your glory and peace. I'm ill. My health is fading and I'm worried about the future. Jesus Christ is your glory and peace. I hope you're not getting bored yet. Because if you live in this, this is amazing. I'll never get over what has happened to me. Jesus Christ is your glory and peace. But I'm going to die. Jesus Christ is your glory and peace. For all that you are not, for everything you cannot overcome, 
For all the things that you crave and all the fears that you have, the shepherds want you to know that Jesus Christ is the answer you need and the one who will be present with you right here, right now. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to whom his favour rests. Have you gone to him? The shepherds wanted you to know how amazed they were to get the message, how amazing the message was, and what you're supposed to do with it. So I wrap up by saying this. To those of you who perhaps you don't quite know him yet, let me know how you'll know that you've met him. The way that you speak about Jesus Christ will change. Have you noticed that? That how you speak about somebody shows what kind of relationship you, what you've got with them? So some of you and me mates around here and you just call me Steve. Uh, earlier this week I did an assembly in one of the schools and I'm sort of the, the visiting pastor so they call me Pastor Steve. I've got six little ladies in my life and well because of their, the way they relate to me they, they, they call me Daddy. Uh, there's one special lady in my life, life and because of the way we're related to one another she calls me Divi, I, I mean <laughs> Hubby. Hubby. You see, the way that you relate, uh, speak to somebody and how you name them tells how you're relating to them. I wonder whether you've moved to a point where you're able to speak of Jesus and say, He is my Saviour, my Lord, my King, my hope, my glory. And listen, to those of you who, who do know Him today, you need to remember. Not what you call him, but what he calls you. Twenty years ago, last Wednesday, for some bizarre reason, Elaine, whose old surname was Mosley. So Elaine Mosley said yes to Anthony Fisher. Give him a round of applause. It's 20 years. And in that moment, Elaine Mosley, her identity changed forever. She became a fisher. With all that it meant to be a fisher. So what counted for Elaine's life was all of Anthony's massive achievements, his vast wealth, his status, his power to protect all of his potential became hers in that moment. Bet you feel privileged. <laughs> if you're a believer here today, the Lord Jesus has changed your name. He has attached himself to you and said, My people, you're a Christian. And with that comes all of his achievements, all of his status, all of his wealth, all of his future is yours. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favour rests. We're now going to sing with the angels. <laughs>